Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for men in their 40s who want to improve their health through nutrition and fitness. This is episode 110, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking with Dr. Johnny Bolden about cholesterol, how it's misunderstood, and just how important cholesterol is to our health. Dr. Johnny is a world-renowned expert in the topic of cholesterol and has written a best-selling book on the topic called The Great Cholesterol Myth. Hi, Dr. Johnny. How are you? I'm good. Nice to see you. And you. And you. Thanks very much for coming on to the podcast today. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. And like I said, before we started recording, I'm a huge fan of your work and um, a huge fan of the topic in actual fact. So for people that perhaps haven't come across you before um, and heard about your work, can you give us a bit of background into, into you and how, how you've got to where you are today? Well, sure. I started my career as a personal trainer. Uh, and I learned everything I knew about nutrition from the American Dietetic Association, which I've often said was probably the, one of the most destructive forces in the health of Americans. Um, they're the ones who gave us the low fat diet. They're the ones who gave us the food pyramid. They're the ones who told us supplements don't do anything. Uh, and we learned our nutrition information as trainers from them. Right. Uh, so the certification for personal trainers involved biochemistry and a uh, little kinesiology and anatomy and nutrition as taught by the medical professional, essentially. Right. Um, and I became a trainer around 1990 or so, and uh, it was the period of low fat predominance. Everybody was on low fat diets. Everybody was avoiding saturated fat. I was one of them. I believed everything we were taught. Uh, I was one of those people who would order an egg white omelet. And if it came with any bat, a little bit of runny yolk, I'd send it back because I was that certain right. that that was going to give me a heart attack. I really yeah. was a true believer. We all were. I apologize. Um, <laughs> and, and what happened was right around then, early 90s, uh, the Atkins diet, uh, the book was called The New Diet Revolution, Robert Atkins, and it's known as the Atkins Diet, of course, and it came out in the 70s. But a new edition, a third edition had come out right around this time of the, the heyday of the low fat diet. Mm. And everybody thought Atkins should be, should he lose his medical license? He was telling people to eat bacon. He was saying that you could eat pork rinds, but you couldn't eat bread. And it was just completely counter to everything that we were taught, everything that we believed about nutrition. And we thought it was medical malpractice. However, people were doing it. Mm. And we would have clients who were not doing well on the low fat dogma that we taught them. Right. They were doing what we told them. Mm-hmm. They weren't losing weight. They weren't feeling better. And they had friends who were going on Atkins and getting good results. Yeah. So they would come to us and they'd say, you know what? I just, I want to try this Atkins thing. And we'd say, you can't do that. Right. You might lose some weight, but you'll get a heart attack. Right. This is absolute lunacy. You can't do it. Well, of course, they didn't listen to us. <laughs> and... 
many would come back. I'm thinking of one in particular, but there were so many examples of it who would come back with noticeable changes. Yeah. Their eyes were clearer. Their blood pressure was measurably lower. Their waist was beginning to shrink. They started to feel better, more energy, less brain fog. And this presents a conundrum. I, I, I didn't talk to you about my background, but along the way, I was going to be a clinical psychologist. So I was in the PhD program for clinical psychology. I got my master's, right. but I ultimately left and went the route that I went now. But I had a master's in psychology. I knew enough to know that there is something called cognitive dissonance. And it means two ideas that cannot exist at the same time. They can't both be true. Right. So something can't be both black and be, be white. Yeah. And we had been told the Atkins diet kills you. Right. That's one piece of information. And here were people standing in front of us who not only had it not killed, but it seemed to be doing wonders for. Yeah. That's cognitive dissonance. These two things can't be true. Now, I had the evidence of my senses here. Here's a guy standing in front of me who's yeah. lost 30 pounds and looks a lot better. And he's showing me his blood test and everything's good. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe what we were told about the Atkins diet might not be right. Yeah. So I began to re-examine some of this stuff. And interestingly enough, I had no training in nutrition. Um, but as a personal trainer, I had learned the party line. Well, when I started to question the party line, all of a sudden people said, he's not even a nutritionist. Right. He's not a doctor. What does he know? <laughs> I, I remember I was at the level at this point as a trainer that I was teaching other trainers. Right. I was okay. head of the Equinox Fitness Training. I was, I was a, a, a major figure in the Equinox Fitness Training Institute, teaching trainers all these things that we had learned and, and teaching nutrition just the way we learned it. Yeah. Nobody ever questioned my credentials. Now I'm up there going, you know, and by the way, the stuff we heard about saturated fat, I'm not 100% sure. We need to relook at that again. And everyone was like, you can't let him teach. He's not even a nutritionist. So that's when I went back to school. Right. And, um, as many people who have been shunned by the establishment because they don't have the right credentials, many of us did, well, we'll go get the credentials and guess what? Now I've got the letters after my name and, and I really know how wrong you guys have been about you know what the dangers of the diet and cholesterol and fat. And if you think about it, <clears throat> if you think about it, the only reason that we've ever been told to not eat fat, yeah. particularly saturated fat, is because we believe that it raises cholesterol, which in turn causes heart disease. So therefore eating fat will get you a heart attack. Yeah. Now, if this isn't true, what happens to the dietary guidelines? <clears throat> what happens to the high carb, low fat diet that made us fat, sick, tired and depressed and gave us an epidemic of diabetes? What happens to those dietary guidelines if in fact fat doesn't give you a heart attack? Yeah. And that's kind of where we are now. So. Mm. The way I got from writing books about the 150 healthiest foods on earth and the, the most effective natural cures on earth and the, the most effective ways to live longer, you know, books like that, <clears throat> to books like Smart Fat yeah. and The Great Cholesterol Myth, it was a fairly, a fairly straight progression because I had been working with clients doing weight loss. I was one of the first weight loss coaches in America. Uh, right. and, and combining kind of psychology and nutrition and working with weight loss clients, and I was seeing you know, they were very fanatic about following these guidelines of low fat, high carb diets, and it was making them fat. 
Yeah. And it took a lot to understand that and then to teach that to them. And that's how I got to look at the rationale for this low fat diet, because the yeah. rationale always came from preventing heart disease. And yeah. now we've got massive amounts of data looking at these low fat diets. And guess what? They don't prevent heart disease. They don't get you skinny. They yeah. don't make you healthier. And yeah. in fact, many people, myself included, think that the low fat diet has contributed to the obesity epidemic and the di and, and the diabetes epidemic that we're seeing. Yeah, and I and I would I would agree with that based on the knowledge that I've got. And you know, I've done some research into this and where I where I got to in my research was around, you know, the 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 research that Dr. Ansel Keys did back in the nineteen fifty-two or wherever it was. And they knew even at that time that the data that he had collected wasn't showing what they thought it would, but they carried on going down this low fat uh, route. And when they actually looked, had they collected all of the data that he'd collected, they would have seen there is no relationship between heart attacks and high fat diet. So yeah, but obviously now, you know, in, in, in 2021, it's kind of the Atkins diet has evolved into keto, right? So it's all about ketogenic and things like that, um, which seems to be the, the kind of the modern version. But why do you think now that we, I mean, particularly in the UK, we still see this. We still see it's all about low fat, no fat, fat is bad. Why, are, why isn't the narrative being changed? Why do you think it's, we still continue down this path? Well, let's, let's answer that in a more general way. Why do we ever con continue along paths that have been shown to be incorrect? I'll give you an example. Um, when COVID first came out and mm. everyone was scrambling for like, what do we do? And what do we, you know, what's the accurate information to follow? And we all, at least in Los Angeles, everybody's wearing rubber gloves. And, right. and when you go into a supermarket, you'd like, you know, don't touch anything. Well, this is warp speed, what happened with COVID, but if, you know, stretch it out over a couple of decades, the same thing happened with cholesterol. So we now know that it's not transmitted from surfaces. Right. And nobody wears gloves anymore when they go into the grocery store. Yeah. But there are establishments throughout my area where mm -hmm. they still will not allow any surfaces. They remove the benches. They don't have the sprays in the bathroom, the air sprays, because we don't because this, they they just stopped reading the literature like after right. they got the notice that it is spread it is spread on surfaces. It's not. Yeah. And we've known for quite a while. The evidence is fairly clear that, you know, mm. we're barking up the wrong tree by looking at uh, cholesterol, particularly the way it's being measured, which is a, a sort of a sidebar we should talk about. Um, we've known that. Yeah. But people continue to behave and do the old ways. They, yeah. it, it, and it's a larger question than why did this happen in nutrition? It happens in every field. People just continue to do stuff that just isn't, it, it just isn't accurate anymore. Yeah. And, and there's a tremendous impetus to kind of just keep things the way they are rather than making the big changes that would need to be made in terms of, you know, what things are uncovered by insurance and whether, whether these drugs really do what they think they're going to do. I mean, that's a, that's a big edifice that's built on all that. And as Upton Sinclair, the great American writer once said, it's very difficult to get a man to change his position if his salary depends on not changing it. And, and right. that's kind of right. what we have with a $31 billion a year industry to lower people's 
LDL cholesterol. The yeah. irony of all of that is that LDL cholesterol is a meaningless number. We now have such sophisticated ways of measuring cholesterol. We can get actual good data from the cholesterol test, but it's not the HDL LDL test. That test is broken. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I want to talk to you about today because, you know, again, in the UK, when we're looking at middle aged men over 40 and they go to their GP or their doctor, and they have a health test and the doctor comes back with this generic response that it's you have high cholesterol straight away alarm bells start ringing oh it's high cholesterol i'm gonna have a heart attack but i really want to dig into the hdl and the ldl and also the the the, the point that you raised there about the the the, the, the way that we measure it and how yeah. the right way to measure it so so can you so for people listening then can we just talk about the high cholesterol measurement and the HDL and the LDL and actually why that's so meaningless. Okay, so the best example I use here in the States when we talk about this, um, I live in California, which has very strict regulations about the emissions that cars can put out into the environment. California's got very good, very strict environmental controls and you have to go to get your, your car smog tested. I don't know if you have right. that in England. But you have to go to these stations that are specifically set up for this, that are authorized by the state or the city or the county or whatever jurisdiction you're in. They're authorized to be objective measurements of this. You can't even get, if, if it doesn't pass, you right. can't even get it fixed there. So they have no incentive to tell you the wrong data because they don't, they don't make any money or they just pay to get the test done, right? right? And there are these big massive machines that measure all of these environmental toxins and they tell you, you know, if you pass the smog test or not, and if you didn't, you have to get it fixed. And often it is expensive to do that, right. okay? Especially on older cars. So let's say you're a citizen. Yep. And well, first of all, here you legally have to get it smog checked. They give you a notice, but let's just say you want to be a good citizen. So you're happy to go get it smog checked. You go, they test your car, they give you a report and they say, you know, actually this is, it needs this, that, and the other. It's going to cost, you better go down and get it fixed. It's going to cost about 1700 bucks. And you go, wow, that's a lot of money. I have to do it or I'm going to get tickets for it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be a bad citizen and pollute the car. I'll bite the bullet and do it. Right. What if you then found out the machine was, hasn't been calibrated since 1963, right. that the machine is broken, that the machine is just as likely to give you a false positive as a false negative. In other words, you could be polluting the entire city and you could get a clean bill of health or you could be absolutely pristine and the machine tells you you got toxins coming out of there. Yeah. How angry would you be? Yeah, very. Yeah, absolutely. So we are giving people the equivalent of a cholesterol test that's like that machine. Those that smog machine I was just talking about, suppose it was invented before modern day it, it, that we have like hundreds of toxins that were invented after that machine was first made. It's not even right. calibrated to look at those toxins. It doesn't even know they exist. What if you yeah. found out that it hasn't been updated in 50 years? Right. You'd be furious. Yeah. So what we're doing with the HDL LDL test is this in the 19, when I was a kid, the early, the fifties, the, the early sixties, they used to test cholesterol with one measurement. They do a little fingerprint, 
a finger prick and they would take yeah. a look at your blood and they would go, oh, Mr. Jones, it's your cholesterol is 230. That's a perfectly good number where, by the way, it used to, 240 used to be the normal measurement. Yeah. They keep they keep getting it down and down because every time they get it down, they get insurance um, reimbursement for another 10 million people because they are now clinically suffering with low cholesterol because you just keep making it lower and lower. Yeah. So that I mean, with high cholesterol so that, but at that time, 230, 240 was normal. And so they would give you this one number. Mm-hmm. In, I believe it was the early 60s, they, they realized that the microscopes got better, the ability to look at these structures got better and more sophisticated. And yeah. they go, you know, it, it really, cholesterol doesn't travel in the blood, by the way, because it, it's, it's, it's hydrophobic, it doesn't mix with water. So it has to be traveled in a container. Mm-hmm. And the container is the lipoprotein. So HDL stands for high density lipoprotein and right. LDL stands for low density lipoprotein. What makes them dense or not dense? Just like in anything else, you put it in water. If it sinks to the bottom, it's high density. If it floats to the top, it's low density. That's all it means. Right. But cholesterol is one of the components, one of the cargos of this boat, the lipoprotein. Right. So when they started to be able to look at it a little bit differently, and by the way, it's not all that the lipoprotein carries. It also carries some, uh, some proteins, some triglycerides, uh, sometimes some other um, cellular debris. I mean, there's all kinds, but there's three basic things it carries, triglycerides, protein, and cholesterol. Cholesterol is only one of the, the cargos. So yeah. that cholesterol is the cargo in this boat. And, and, and scientists started to say, well, you know, there's kind of some of these boats seem to be higher density and some of them seem to be lower density. So let's divide them into high and low. And they seem to actually do different things. One carries cholesterol away from the, uh, the tissues and the other brings it towards. It's called one of them is sort of good and one of them is sort of bad. I mean, that's like it's it just the, the most superficial kind of characterization of these two different entities right yeah okay that was an improvement over total cholesterol because now we had a vague sense that they're not quite the same yeah and one of them is kind of a little bit better yeah and the other one's kind of a little bit worse and we can now do a ratio now now we're not just looking at total cholesterol we want how much of it is the good kind Mm -hmm. hdl how much of it is the bad kind ldl So in the era of cell phones, this is equivalent to, I don't know if they had this in England, but when we first got cellular telephones, mobile telephones, they were the size of a Buick. Yeah. They, were, they literally looked like you would see pictures. <laughs> you can still get them of pictures of people walking around New York when the first cell phones came up and they looked like a brick. They would be talking and the antenna would go up to there. That's yeah, I remember. Like, yeah. Yeah. What happens when the flip phone comes out? Man. What an improvement. That's yeah. like flip phone and you can text people. You have to hit it three times to get a letter. Remember that? Like on yeah. the old, right? Three times I will W. <laughs> I, that's how we did it. But it was some improvement over the yeah. Buick they used to be. Ca- well, the HDL LDL test was an improvement over the total test in the right. same way as the flip phone was an improvement over the Buick. Right. Would you use a flip phone today? in the era of the iPhone 12 Pro and the, and the Samsung Galaxy 7A or whatever it is, would you use a, a flip phone where you're texting with three things yeah. to get a letter ever in the day of FaceTime and, and, and Skype? Right. Yeah. We are using this antiquated, stupid test when we now know there are 13 different types of cholesterol. There's HDL2, 2A, 2B, there's, H, there's LDLA, LDLB, oxidized LDL, LDL3A, 3B, 
would you use a, a, a test that antiquated yeah. to yeah. prescribe drugs for when you've got this huge galaxy of things that you can look into to see what's the size of the lipoprotein? Oh, that seems to make quite a bit of difference. Is it small particles or is it big ones? Wait a minute, right. how many of there? of them are there because that makes more of a difference in what the cargo of those boats are. If you're trying to prevent an accident in the water. You want to know how many boats are in the water. You don't care how many towels are in the bathroom of the boat. Yeah. So cholesterol is the cargo. The new information looks at the number of boats. How many lipoproteins do you have? How many they're called particles. How many particles are there? Mm. That is what tells you whether you're in danger or not. We're not good or bad HDL, LDL. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And people continue to cling to that and prescribe based on that. Yeah. And, and that is a, that's, a, that's the irony and the tragedy of this. Not only does cholesterol not really cause heart disease, but we're not even measuring it correctly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's such a great point. And that's a great analogy you use with the mobile phones there. And, and, and I can relate to that because I have my bloods done every year. And I recently had my bloods done. Now, I purposely follow a high fat diet. So right? what? And, it came back from one of these new testing centers that, Mr. Kirby, you have high LDL. You might want to consider going on some medication. And I was absolutely flabbergasted that they, that they were still looking at this from this perspective. So bearing that in mind, then, when you're talking about all these, the 13 different cholesterol, the different types that we have, what is the right approach? What is the right way to test to see? There's only it one. It's now right. the, what it's called in your country, or what each lab calls that test. Yeah, is very different. But it is right. it is that it is widely known generically as the particle test. Right. Particles are just science talk for lipoproteins. Yeah, it's the particle test and. In our country, we have Quest Labs and LabCorp, the two major providers of lab tests in the country. They have different, the LabCorp one is called the LPIR. The, the Quest one, I think, is called the Cardio IQ test. Yeah. Uh, they're advanced lipid profiles. They, right. Lipid means fats. Profile is this test. And yeah. advanced means we're not just looking at some antiquated 1963 good and bad. We're looking at actually the advanced particle size and yeah. number that the tests are able to deliver now. They're also called the NMR particle test. NMR stands for nuclear magnetic resonance. Didn't have it in 1963. Why would you not use it to look into the damn lipoprotein when you have it now? Why would you still use some, it's like using an, uh, um, I forgot how you pronounce that thing, <laughs> the counting boards. Um, oh, yeah, so kind of like abacus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. abacus, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. would be like using that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. For an so Atari he, 64 computer, if you remember the Commodore Yeah, I do, absolutely. That's yeah. what it's like. That's <laughs> yeah, what, that's what it makes like. perfect sense. And actually, I never even considered that before we had our discussion today, that that, you know, that makes perfect sense. You know, we're measuring stuff back from when we used to, based on the information we had back in the 60s, which is crazy, like you say. So that makes perfect sense. So, But if we've got people listening to this today who have perhaps not followed, I would say, the most optimal nutrition, right? And maybe they've been having a lot of processed food. And let's say, for example, they were to have the new test that tests from a particle standpoint. What type of things would, you know, if you're if you have 
a cholesterol level which is not ideal based on a new test would you be looking for you're looking for high numbers of particles i'm a perfect example of this by the way darren you know it's an interesting thing when we wrote the book the great cholesterol myth we were concentrating really on the people who are being over prescribed statins because they're only looking at ldl ldo your yeah. example that you gave earlier where your ldl was very elevated from a high maybe from a high fat diet we don't know but it was yeah. elevated yeah when very often um what happens with certain fats like saturated fat is that they do raise ldl yeah. But when you look under the hood and you look at these tests, you find that they're raising the big fluffy versions of LDL, the big molecules that don't really do much damage, and the little nasty BB gun size small ones are, are much lower. So yeah. even though the total number is higher, the pattern is very favorably right. affected by that fat. And if you don't look under the hood, all you see is bad high LDL. Now, here's what I had the opposite of this. My LDL and HDL have always been perfect. Nobody has ever said anything but great job, go home. You don't need a prescription, your LDL. Now I learned about this stuff in what, 10 years ago and I start yeah. getting the real test. Yeah. And the real test shows a very different picture. Right. I have particle numbers that are in the very high and dangerous range. Yeah. And my pattern, are they big and fluffy or are they nasty and small? They are nasty and small. So right. I was, and this is obscured right. by the conventional good and bad test. Yeah. Just like yours might, your good results might be being obscured because they're only looking at these two gross categories instead of looking under and seeing what's going on. Yeah. So in my case, I was being undertreated. Okay. And I, and, and I have some very forward thinking. I have quite a team of people that I'm able to reach and get opinions on. So I talked mm -hmm. to three different uh, cardiologists about this none of whom are conventional okay. and one of one of them said you know this might be a case where i know you don't you're not eager to go on a statin drug but this might be a case where you know five milligrams cluster will get the particles done at least they knew what they were looking at they weren't right. doing hdl ldl they knew that we've got to get those particles done yeah i had two other opinions one of whom was a cardiologist who was also a nutritionist and he said let's skip the statins for now here's what i want you to do he gave me a very rigorous program of supplements to add on to the supplements i already take yeah. and about a year later the particle numbers had gone from the very high red very to the yellow so they were moving in the right direction and the particle size had switched from the nasty little dark one you know uh, yeah. um oxidized uh, atherogenic particles of LDL to the much more fluffier ones. So I was on the way to, to a change there, but it wouldn't have even been seen if I hadn't, if I hadn't gotten the real test. Yeah. I mean, so that, 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 it works both ways. I think most people are over prescribed statins, but yeah. some people may be being under prescribed because you're just looking at something that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, yeah, when you have that clarity that that information you're able to act efficiently so but that's one of the things that i wanted to talk about is is actually dealing with it when you have you know the, the high numbers of ldl but the, the like you said the small bb gun type particles now obviously you've mentioned there that some cardiologists have mentioned statins my approach to any kind of health issue is always to look at it from a from a, a kind of a natural perspective. You, you certainly want to start with that if you yeah. can. And that's what this, this cardiologist suggested. And um, yeah. I liked this cardiologist because the very first thing he said to me when I told him about my puzzling results was he said, well, I hope you're on a high fat diet. 
Right. And I knew he was the cardiologist for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, and a lot of the, the, the kind of traditional approach is when you have, you have this, you know, and let's generalize it for a moment, the, the high co the cholesterol levels, you know, it's all almost is you're eating too much sweet stuff, you're eating too much fat, you're eating too many cakes. So if you had somebody come and have this, this the, the modern test done with the small particles, where would you start from a dietary perspective? How would you start to analyze that? I am pretty convinced that the, 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 the place to start with most of these interventions where you're not quite sure what to do, start by getting rid of processed food. Right. Across the board, it doesn't matter what disease yeah. you're treating, it doesn't matter what condition you're focused on. Um, the, uh, the error in carbohydrate metabolism that is widespread throughout the world, yeah. something we call insulin resistance, Mm -hmm. is a factor in heart disease and cancer in kidney lung uh, um, diabetes obesity alzheimer's right. every one of those is linked to insulin resistance insulin resistance is an error in the ability of the body to process carbohydrates there is no two ways about it right. that's where the problem is and i'm not talking about the carbohydrates that the bantu of south africa eat or mm. that the paleo people ate, those are carbohydrates you and I or anyone in the th in the first world would not recognize. Yeah, These were the kinds of things you could pluck or gather and they were bitter and they were fibrous and they ate plenty of them. And those carbs yeah. are just fine. Our, our version of that would be Brussels sprouts and broccoli and lettuce right. and green leafy vegetables. And those things just don't cause problems for people. But you know what does? Bread, pasta, rice, uh, uh, triscuits, um, cakes, baked goods, yeah. um, frozen foods, all of this stuff is made with vegetable oil and sugar and starch, which converts to sugar in a heartbeat. And this is what drives your blood sugar up. This is what drives your insulin up. This is what causes insulin resistance. And that is, I think, the biggest risk factor for chronic disease. It doesn't account for all chronic disease. But like no. I said in the book, uh, smoking doesn't account for all of lung cancer, but it tracks with lung cancer better than any other risk factor we have. And that's the same thing with insulin resistance. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, and, and when you said there about, you know, globally, you know, the way that we've evolved with carbohydrates, my view on it is I believe it's the Western world that has evolved, you know, with our incessant need and requirement to constantly have food has meant that the food industry is just producing this stuff on mass and we're not designed to continually eat right we we no, need not to at all as a matter of fact i i came late to the fasting party mm. i've always known as a health professional i've been doing this 30 years and and much like meditation we all know that fasting has amazing health benefits but it's you know you think it's hard and you don't want to do it and so i just never really like investigated it personally even though i knew it was a good thing same thing with meditation i always yeah. knew it was a good thing but it wasn't until like i was in my 70s that i actually yeah. began meditating and developed a meditation practice and the same thing with fasting so in this last year i uh, during the pandemic actually right. um i was forced to be a little more severe in my diet like okay. I, I was always on the right path but you know how you can you can it's like a pandora radio station it's like yeah. if you don't continue to correct it you know you start with one genre and by the time you're into something completely different and and kind of i was on that high fat um relatively low carb moderate protein diet but i drifted a lot okay and when the pandemic came i stopped drifting because we couldn't get you know any of the junk foods but 
Nobody ran out of fruits, vegetables, meats, and nuts. Right. So I just stocked up on all that stuff and started just grazing on nuts and olives and berries and, uh, I, you know, drinking olive oil out of the bottle because it's yeah. a, an amazing medicinal food. And it's one of, one of the supplements I take. And uh, several things happened, one of which is all those numbers I just talked about went down. Yep. The second of which is I lost my cravings for right. a lot of sweets. And the third of which is very related to all of this is I started fasting. Okay. And I actually just wrote a course about fasting. I'm now like, we're deeply into teaching this stuff. But here's the biggest point to take home relative to our conversation. One of the biggest benefits of fasting, one could argue the biggest benefit, but certainly there are others. But one of the yeah. biggest benefits of fasting is it can lower or reverse insulin resistance. Right. So if you can turn insulin resistance around, you can literally, in, in our book, we quoted one study that projected from various statistics that if you could cure, if you could wipe out insulin resistance in the world, you'd wipe out 40, you'd prevent 42% of all heart attacks. That's crazy. And God knows what else in terms yeah. of obesity and diabetes. Yeah. Um, so this is a very, very important thing. And, and um, you know, insulin rises in response to blood sugar. Blood yep, sugar yep. rises in response to food. It does not it does not rise in response to fat. It mm -hmm. rises in response to processed carbohydrates followed by protein. Not as much for protein, zero yep. for fat. So when you're trying to reverse the very condition that causes obesity, that causes fat and diabetics and, and all the rest of it, insulin, we're trying to reverse that. What sense does it make to tell people to eat a high amount of the very macronutrient carbohydrates which rise which which raise insulin and sugar and to not eat the very macronutrient fat which doesn't even move the needle on it it's yeah. completely alice in wonderland backwards yeah and and what kind of challenges have you faced with this because i would imagine that you doctors. are pretty yeah doctors yeah. And, yeah and why do you think that they are so against accepting the, the facts it's a sociology question not a medical question right Right. It really, it truly is. I mean, when you look at how the system is set up, how uh, people visit doctors' offices who come as representatives of the of the pharmaceutical company, they come with food, right. they bring lunch, they do a little seminar in the office, yeah. they give them the pens with the name of the medication on it, and they do this wonderfully uh, uh, Disney esque presentation <laughs> about how wonderful the medication is, and this is what's happening in this trial, and here's some samples, and try it with it, and it be, it's a culture. Yeah. And that's why they don't pay attention to nutrition. That's they're not taught in, in, in medical school that nutrition matters. Yeah. I think the latest statistics are only one one quarter of all the medical schools in the United States even offer a nutrition course. And the ones that do, it's about the equivalent of high school uh, home economics. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the similar thing in the UK that doctors that, that study get less than eight hours in their whole four years of nutritional training. This is true yeah so so i mean that that is a crazy statistic but the, so, the, so, so just just quickly coming back to cholesterol though itself i want because it's it's seen as it's demonized and it's seen as bad but there yeah. are some huge benefits right to cholesterol having cholesterol in the body and it's a, an important part of of what and who we are well i i, I think benefits is too light of a word i think you, first of all you would die without it yeah it's so essential to your health that if you took it out of your body, you'd be dead. There'd be no discussion. Yeah. Um, 
So you need it for memory, you need it for thinking, you need it for your immune system, and you right. need it for your hormones. It is the parent molecule for vitamin D, which 75% of America does not get enough of. It is the parent molecule for your sex hormones. Right. So when you stop cholesterol from being manufactured in the body the way these statin drugs do, yeah. is it any wonder that there is an epidemic of erectile dysfunction among American men, who yep. about 50% of whom are on these cholesterol blocking drugs? Right. Is there any wonder that you know 75% of America is deficient in vitamin D when we are blocking the molecule that makes vitamin D that you make yep. vitamin D from? So yes, it's very, very important for so many different things. And, um, and the notion of just trying to lower it and lower yeah. it yeah, is, is just so boneheadedly wrong yeah. that uh, it, it, it's kind of stunning. Yeah. And, and is there any link? Actually, on that point, you make a good point about erectile dysfunction. And I've had another conversation with a UK-based doctor today about that and how that's the precursor to a lot of other diseases if you have that in the body. But, you know, around... The, the the erectile dysfunction and cholesterol it, it, are there links with the cholesterol and other illnesses such as erectile dysfunction low testosterone and that kind of thing are there links with cholesterol and that well first of all we have to be clear about how we're measuring it i'm not i'm not really a fan of like any of the data that links ldl and hdl with anything because it's yeah. really an antiquated measure right. but I, I think there's more significant data with the side effects of statin drugs than there right. is linking high cholesterol. Because here's the thing, people who have, let's go with the old fashioned way of measuring it, yeah. high cholesterol, just as a, as a thought exercise. These things don't happen in a vacuum. People eat, when they look at like meat eaters, well, are they people eat like me who's eating grass-fed meat from a local market along with vegetables and plant juice? Or are they people eating ballpark hot dogs? Right. And salami and deli meats and never seeing a, any vegetables or fiber and topping it off with lots of bread. And yeah, you have to look at the other factors that go with it. And many people who had traditionally high cholesterol in these studies were smokers and they were stressed out. And they there were 50 different variables that you really couldn't control for, like lifestyle and 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 anger and stress and lack of sleep yeah. and so there's usually a component of all those things. And in that particular box, very often erectile dysfunction is one of those things. You have bad circulation. You, have, um, you don't have all the nutrients that you need. Your diet is nutrient deficient. Yeah, those things can manifest a lot of different ways, one of which is erectile dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. Makes I don't sense. think there's a causal connection between no. high cholesterol badly yeah. measured and erectile dysfunction. That's really pushing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. No, I understand. So no, no, that's cool. So in terms of like tips that you could give to, to guys listening to this, you know, obviously, there's some basic fundamentals, but what, what would be the key tips that you could give to a dad who's listened to this who has been diagnosed with high cholesterol? the best nutrition advice I ever got in my life and the best nutritional advice I've ever given in my life is three words. It transcends everything we know about diets, what type of diet, low fat, high fat, vegan, carnivore, eat real food. Yeah. And when I say real food, I mean food that if you showed this food to your great, 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 great grandmother, she would know exactly what to do with it. Yeah. In the blue zones where the people live the longest and are the healthiest and they've studied them extensively, um, 
the researchers took some of the foods that we get in supermarkets and they showed them some of, you know, some of the people who lived in these zones, they showed them some of these foods and the, the women who would cook for the village, the older women would go, yeah. what this is. Yeah. yeah. They did not know what it was. Yeah. If you can, and if you're not sure if it's real food or not, because there's a lot of stuff masquerading like kale chips in them. Well, that's got to be real. It comes from kale. If you're not sure, it's not real. Don't yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know what's real? Meat, vegetables, fruits, nuts, beans. Yeah. That's what's real. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, because there's a lot of, where, where do you stand on the various different diet modalities and what I mean by what well, we talked about keto, we talked about Atkins, we talked about paleo, wild 13, all the rest of it, because when you boil it down, it's actually just the fundamentally it's all the same, right? It's, it's eating whole foods, but where do you sit on these various different modalities? Are you completely against it and just follow whole foods or what's your view on it? I, I think that there's no perfect diet. There are very often perfect matches between a given yeah. individual and a given eating plan. And that may change over time. What served you very well in college when you were training for football might not be the best diet for you in your 50s. And if, you were, if you're pregnant, that might not be the best diet for when you're um, 60 and starting a new career in, in sailboarding or whatever. Yeah. You have yeah. different needs at different times in your life and you have different, even one person um, may have a diet that works very well for them and would be absolutely a disaster for their neighbors. So we need to get away from the notion of a perfect diet. We need to right. talk more about the perfect fit between yeah. person and dietary strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't and agree. If you more. ask me in general, what I think about, I mean, in general, I'm not a fan of, I mean, I, I think the less processed food, the better, and 100%. you can do that as a vegan. Yeah. Unfortunately, many vegans do not do that. What vegans do is they eat vegan pizza and vegan cheese and <laughs> vegan this. And, and that is the worst crappy diet you can imagine. And just yeah. because it doesn't have animal products doesn't make it healthy. But yeah. you can do a real foods diet as a vegan. You can do a real foods diet as a carnivore. You can yeah. do it as anything in between. But if you're sticking with real foods, that I, I think the rest of it is details. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, I think it's 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 a fascinating topic, and it's one which I think we need to elevate and speak about way, way more. Um, and I really appreciate your time today, and I really appreciate your My explanation pleasure. on the the way that we should test cholesterol. But I you know, I sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think, I hope that my book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, is available in the UK. I'm pretty sure it is on UK yeah. Amazon. Okay, but um, it's all in the book that tests everything. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was about to say. You know, you've been the author of about 15 books. Um, so where can people connect with you? How can they see more of your, your stuff and, and things like that? On Instagram and Twitter, I'm just at Johnny Bowden. And there's no H in Johnny. It's J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N. And um, I'm very easy to reach that way. And um, I will tell, I'll leave you with this. There is, if, if you don't want to do all these complicated tests in the book, we give some very simple ways that you can look at your current blood test. Right. And there are going to be two numbers on that. I don't care where you got your blood tested. These two numbers are going to be on it. And if right. you look at those two numbers, triglycerides and HDL, and you look at them and figure out the ratio, you will have a wonderful predictive metric for how you're doing in terms of heart disease. Perfect. Well, I'm going to go away and check that right tonight and okay. see where I land. But Dr. Joy, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Wonderful. And um, yeah, thank I look you. forward to speaking to you soon. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.